Again, we're glad you're here today. You're the adventurous crowd, the people who braved the snow uh, to get here. Thanks for being here. We're glad you're with us. Yeah, good job. Give yourself a hand just for making it to church. And for those of you that are at home online, hey, we're, you're not as adventurous, but we're glad you're tuning in. So great, great to have you as well. This is uh, an interesting time we're living in. I love the snow. Everything's crisp. It's nice. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, living in, in interesting times, as I was saying, uh, never know what's going on. One thing that I mentioned a few weeks ago that I think is going to continue to happen is uh, churches and Christians will be criticized more and more. And it's just, we probably should just expect that. I think it's going to happen. And, and you know the criticism sometimes, you know, oh, the churches, some churches are too big. Of course, the first church was way bigger than grace in Jerusalem. 3,000 people got saved in one day. And other people would say, well, you know, you Christians, the problem with you is you believe your way is the only right way. Yeah, we're Christians, right? You know, of course we believe that. You know, other people say, well, you don't help people enough. I got to tell you, I've been all over the world, many countries, and I can just tell you, who's doing the most to help people who are hurting all around the world are churches just like Grace. Everywhere, they're in every country helping people. It's the same thing with us. We start at home every week here at Grace. Every week we help people from our community. Every single week. And not only that, we help people around the world. Some of you, uh, you have signed up to support, help us do our orphanages. We have two orphanages in Thailand. We also support orphans in the Central African Republic. And a lot of us are doing that as well. You know, if you're part of grace, if you give to grace, well, you're, you're doing some of these things. You're helping people. And, and I got to tell you, what's our critics doing? What are they doing? Who are they keeping from, from famine? Who are they keeping from starving? Because my observation is the people who criticize, they're not doing squat. You know, that's the difference. Christians do for people. Other people, they just talk. And so we need to remember that as we interact, and that's what we ought to ask people that are critical. What are you doing? How are you? Because it's not glamorous. It's week after week putting our money where our mouth is and sending money week after week, thousands of dollars every week. We don't talk about it that much, but that happens all the time. It's been going on for, with our orphanages almost 10 years now. That's what we do. So, so remember that, and um, we want to help people. That's why every believer I know supports legal immigration. Why? We want to help people. But also, every Christian I know supports deporting violent felons who are not citizens of our country. Why? Because we want to help people, and these people prey on vulnerable people. Does that make sense? We are consistent. We want to help the vulnerable, that's exactly what we do. I, I got to tell you that we have an opportunity uh, to help refugees again this Sunday. 
and this will be kind of a dollar club thing, so some of you know what that means. Maybe you could get ready, but uh, just last weekend, uh, in the ongoing civil war in Myanmar, uh, several villages were burned out by government soldiers, and then the people had to flee. And so I was contacted about that during the week by people that we know in country, on the ground, and most of these people are, they're all tribal people, heavily Karen tribe, and, uh, and, and we've helped people like this many times before. This time, uh, this group of people of about four or 5,000 people have been displaced. These people are predominantly Christians, which is a little unusual. Maybe up to 80% of these people would identify as believers. This is in a part of the world where less than 1% are Christians. And so what we did is we responded immediately because of your generosity. We, this A few days ago, we sent a couple thousand dollars, we, and the people that we know, our friends, Corinne people, who are on the ground there that we know personally, were able to buy some supplies and have contacts to get that across the border. Borders are closed, but they have contacts to be able to get that across, permission to take that across. And so we're excited about that. And now today, we, we've also arranged that on Tuesday, two days from now, we are going to make another wire transfer, and that'll be whatever comes in today. So if you want to help with this, uh, we encourage you to do that. There's two ways to give, whether you're at home or you're sitting in here. One is the text to give, you know, and you really don't want me showing you this, but, uh, but it's pretty easy. I mean, text to give, I just go to, to text, and then I text to, and what I'm texting to is 84321, 84321. And then in the subject line of the text, why is it not giving me that? What did I do wrong here? <laughs> this is why you don't, I just did this a while ago. This is why you don't want me to do it. And then, the, so text to 84321, any dollar amount, it's dollar club, don't put in cents, any dollar amount, space, club, and it'll go right to this. The other way to do it, um, is if you're on Church Center app, you just hit that button, and then you go to, the, uh, go to the icon there in the top right, and then you go to giving, and you can scroll down to Dollar Club, and when you type that in, it'll do the same thing. And so, and if you don't, if you're not kind of set up to do this stuff, you need to get set up to do this. So you, we can respond in real time to needs. We're going to be delayed by a couple days, but uh, we're able to wire that right in and so if you want to do that, we'd appreciate your help as we help these people. So text to give or church center app. Well, starting a new series today, and it's the book of Ruth. We just finished the book of 2 Timothy, and now we're doing the short Old Testament book of Ruth. And I'd encourage you to, to turn there. It's, it's about the eighth book of the Bible. It's after Judges, and if you're in the first, second Samuel, you've gone too far. It's right in between. But Ruth is all about God's unseen plan. It's a small book, short book, but a big message. And if your uh, life's not going the way you think it should go, or you're discouraged, Ruth is the book for you. God has a plan. We can't always see it, but he does have a plan, and he invites us to be part of it. Before we jump into Ruth, I would like to give you sort of the biblical context of where Ruth happens. Um, and I'm going to start right at the beginning. God created Adam, Eve. Uh, they started multiplying. Uh, as a matter of fact, after that happened for generations, people started drifting further and further from God, and they started turning 
from God in more and more vile ways. And finally, God used Noah, and then he sort of cleansed the earth and started over with Noah's family. Noah's family then, after the flood, they started spreading out all through the world. And then again, people started drifting from God. This time, God chose one individual. His name was Abraham. And he called him in the Ur of the Chaldees, which is Iran, and called him to leave his home and go to the promised land, the land of Canaan, which we know today as Israel. Abraham believed God, trusted God, had faith in God, and he went to this country where he had never been before. And God says, I'm going to use you to bless the entire world. Not only your family, but you'll bless the entire world. After he got there and his family grew some to about 75 people, there's a story where one of his sons sold into slavery, went down to Egypt. Well, about this time, there was a huge plague. And so the people in Israel didn't have much to eat, but God provided through Abraham's son Joseph uh, to, to take care of him, or whoa, 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 it's not Abraham's son, Joseph, but you guys are with me, right? Abraham, yeah, okay, man, kind of, Jacob's son, Joseph, yeah, sorry about that. So anyway, Jacob's son, Joseph, these are all uh, Abraham's offspring, and a- Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, I-, I do know it, I'm just not saying it right, okay? And then they all end up in Egypt, right? In Egypt, uh, they're there, and they're favored because Joseph's kind of running things, But then Joseph dies, new Pharaoh, things happen. Uh, A few decades go by, and all of a sudden, as the people of Abraham's family grow and multiply, the Pharaoh turns against them. They end up enslaving those people for 400 years. In the meantime, during that 400 years, God multiplies these people, grows this family into an entire nation. Then, as they're enslaved and they cry out to God, God raises up another leader, Moses, to deliver the people. So Moses goes to deliver the people, God's people, from Egypt in slavery back to the promised land. He does that, but they don't have the faith to go in, so they spend about 40 years in the desert. Then they come right up to the edge of the promised land. Moses dies, and then Joshua takes over. Joshua leads the people into the promised land. And there they, uh, they conquer, and they're in there, although they never completely conquer the people. And, and so they're living in the land that God has promised them. Then, after Joshua dies, people then drift away from God again. And then right at that point in history, we enter into the time of the judges. This is before there were any kings in Israel, and after Joshua. And so the judges, and there's a whole book about this, in the Bible, right before the book of Ruth. It's this cyclical thing of the people following God, then drifting from God, then eventually turning to other gods. Then bad things would happen to them as they were away from God. And then when things got bad enough, then the people would cry out to the one true God, and then God would raise up a deliverer called a judge, and then that person, who is usually a military leader, would help deliver them from their enemies and then bring the people back to God, and then they would be back to following God. But then a few years later, they would start wandering from God, drifting from God, eventually following other gods, and then back 
bad things would happen, and then when it got bad enough, they would cry out to God again, and then again, God from one of the tribes would lift up a deliverer called a judge, to, and this just kept happening over and over and over again. And this is the setting during this time for the book of Ruth. Joshua, right before Ruth 1.1, you have the last verse in, Josh, uh, in Judges, and here's what it says. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. A very dark time in Israel's history. And when we think about that, sort of that panoramic view of Scripture, I think a lot of times we think, hey, I get it. Down through history, God used amazing people, God used heroes to sort of change events in the world, to change the course of history, and to fulfill God's purposes. I get that. But then people also think, but what about me? I get God used people through history, but what about me? What about my family? What about what we're going through right now? What about our hard times? What about me as an individual? Does God even care? Does God even know? And the answer is yes. God cares. God knows. God not only cares, he can use our suffering for his purposes and even good in our own lives. The problem is we get so bogged down in the circumstances that we're going through each and every day that we can't see the big picture. Now, I was going to throw out like a puzzle, uh, one of these visual puzzles on the screen, but it was like, it seemed like a lot of people had seen this. So this is a puzzle where you see something really close up and you try to figure out what it is and then you get the context. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. Yeah, some of you have done this before. All right. First one, what is it? This is an easy one, right? Kiwi, right, kiwi fruit, got it, that's it. Okay, now you know how to do it. Next one, what is it? Noodles, okay, close. Spaghetti, right, you got it, noodles. So those are noodles, yep, you got it, right. Next one. Jeez, that is way too easy. I should have picked a hard, I was picking the easy ones thinking, ah, this will be kind of, no, you got it, cheese. Nailed it. All right, one last one. Okay, when you're throwing out coffee, I'm thinking you've seen this before, right? Okay, that, it's, that's exactly what it is, coffee. I need my coffee because uh, that, that didn't. So you guys get it, right? The whole point is sometimes when we're all caught up in, in the, although that didn't really illustrate it that well for you guys, but, but if you'll just bear with me, all right? Sometimes when we get caught up with the day-to-day -day details of our lives, we get all caught up in the busyness and what we have to do today and what's going on with us and what's happening tomorrow. We fail to see the bigger picture, right? The, the book of Ruth is for us so that we can be reminded while all this national stuff is happening all through the book of Judges that also lasts about 400 years, up and down, up and down, up and down, here's a snapshot of what's happening in just individual lives, what's happening during that time. So Ruth teaches us 
that God works through everyday, average, normal people like you and me. Not, not only does Ruth teach us that, Ruth also turns into a love story. All right, yeah, that's what I said, a love story. It's like the chick flick of the Bible. Ruth, you check it out. And that'll start like next week. So guys, if you haven't taken your wife to a, a chick flick lately, come back next Sunday, pull out the popcorn, put your arm around her. This will count, all right? And if you're at home, that's going to be even easier for you, you know, so whatever. All right, so it's, it's love story of the Bible. And here's, now, before I start reading Ruth 1, and we're going to go through the whole first chapter, and that's all. There are a couple of places that's mentioned that I want to give you a little background on. One is Bethlehem. We've all heard of Bethlehem. Bethlehem, though at this time in history, is insignificant. The reason is David has never been born there yet. This is before all the kings. And Jesus has not been born there yet because he was born in the city of David. Because Jesus doesn't come along until a thousand years later. So Bethlehem also means house of bread. But we're going to find out there's no bread. But, so that's one place. And then the other place is Moab. Moab is a country right next to Israel on the other side of the Dead Sea, east of the Dead Sea. It's only about 40 miles away as a crow flies from Bethlehem. But there, uh, Moab is a bad, bad place. Moab, Moabites worship a god named Chemosh. And in worshiping the god of Chemosh, uh, that involved sexual orgies, all kinds of unspeakable things, and even child sacrifice. That's what they believed. And these Moabites and their God, and the Ammonites had the same God, they were a constant plague because sometimes Israelites would follow. For example, later in history, Solomon, king number three, he actually takes on Moabite wives. And because of that, he is kind of drawn to this God, Chemosh, which causes him problems. And then some of the countries involved in that is just a big mess. So that's kind of what's going on. So those are the places. Are you ready? Okay. Ruth 1.1. And this starts with sort of a group of people wandering away from God because times are hard. Ruth 1.1. Now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem in Judea went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem in Judea. Now they entered into the land of Moab and remained there. Now, the weird thing about this is we read that and we're like, okay, nothing, nothing strange there. But if you were a Jewish person reading this in Old Testament times or even in New Testament times, you'd be going, what? Moab? You're taking your family to Moab? Moab's a terrible place. It may be the worst place. Why would you do that? Why would you go to Moab? Go to anywhere but Moab. And that's how people would react. Now, Elimelech's name means God is king. But he's not acting like God is king. 
Elimelech. I've been spending a lot of time with my grandkids, and I do this Elimelech, and all week long I've been thinking this, Elimelech, 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 Elimelech. Yeah, anyway. But anyway, it's in the jungle. But so Elimelech, you know, he's doing this like, why? Everybody be going, why, why, why? What, What are you doing? What are you thinking? He's not acting like God's king. There's famine. We get that in the promised land. So he just heads for where he thinks there's food rather than waiting for God's provision, God's deliverance, and God always comes through. But he doesn't wait. He goes to Moab where he thinks there's more food. Now, verse 5, we'll continue. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They took for themselves Moabite women as wives. The name of one was Orpah, And the name of the other, Ruth. And they lived there about 10 years. Then both Malon and Kilian also died. And the woman, speaking of Naomi, and the woman was left, and the woman was bereft of her two children and her husband. And write this as a snapshot of typical life. Sometimes we make bad decisions. And there's always consequences to that. It's always the next domino falls. And when we drift from God, we make decisions that not only harm us, but it harms people around us. Now, Elimelech knows Moab's a bad place, but he probably thought, I won't be there long, just a season or two. But then, like it always happens, life doesn't go the way he thinks, right? Happens to all of us, right? Earlier today, whenever that uh, is, you know, maybe seven thirty or so. I didn't tell first services, but earlier today, the the our music team was up here, and I came in and I was walking. Did you see it, Alexa? Okay, so uh, more people saw it than I thought. So I, I came down here. I was cutting through the auditorium, and they were all up here singing. And then I turn to, you know, they were singing some cool stuff, and so I turned to kind of. Well, I kept walking backwards. I tripped over a chair. Boom hit the dust, you know, and then I jump up real fast and I look around and I'm thinking, I'm sure some people like Alexa, they, they probably looked away like, I don't want to embarrass them, but you know, several people saw me take it out. But anyway, it, it, life is like that. It doesn't go the way you think you're going to go. It's going to go. Don't tell first service. But anyway, life, life just happens. Well, this is what happens. He goes there and then the next, he stays longer than he thought. Then he ends up dying And then his sons are there. Then his sons do what they're not supposed to do. They marry pagan women. And by the way, in the Old Testament and the New, God's always telling us, don't marry an unbelieving spouse. That's not God's best plan for you. Don't do it. That was true in the Old Testament, true in the New Testament. And so as that happened, you know, we need, so if you're not married, you know, one thing you can do, a little application here, side note, free of charge, do, you should only date believers. I remember when I was in high school, I realized, okay, you're only supposed to marry believers, and then I think, well, probably, I was challenged, I think, by my youth pastor saying, you should only date believers. And, and, I, and I did that, even though at the time, I only knew like two or three Christian girls in our whole school. I'm not saying there were only two or three, I'm saying there were only two or three that I knew were Christians. The point is, make a decision and do life God's way. That's what God wants us to do. But they didn't do that. And I got to tell you, and then bad things happen, and they continue to drift. 
After 30 years of ministry, I see this happening all the time. You could come up to me at any time and say, who do you think's drifting from God and heading to a wreckage? I wouldn't tell you, but I could. I would say, well, you know, yeah, it happens all the time. And so, and it happens today. So why'd Elimelech go to Moab? Well, he, he went so they wouldn't starve. He went to save their lives. You know, not a, a lot of people did that, but he did that so he wouldn't die. Then what happened? He died. And then what else happened? His sons died. If you think about it, three out of four of them, 75% of them die when he takes action so they won't die. When they leave God's place of promise, the promised land, and go to this foreign country that they're not supposed to interact with, they, three out of four, die. And then that leaves Naomi in a terrible situation. Because back in ancient times, there wasn't a lot of ways to support yourself in an agrarian society. In all these cultures around here, land it was the way that you survived. And land was passed typically through sons. And then daughters married other sons. Unless there were no sons, and it, was, it wasn't always that way. But that's typically the way it was. Well, now with Naomi, she's lost her husband. She's lost both sons. And she knows she will live out the rest of her life in poverty. That it's not looking good for her. Things are bad. It's a train wreck. It's messed up because family is financial security. Family is survival. And Naomi's family has basically died out. She's lost everything. She's on the brink of starvation herself. She could not be more vulnerable than she is right now. And whether the land is in famine or not, she will face famine. That's what's going on. And, and you know, we hear famine, and, and we don't really get famine, right? Because none of us have probably gone more than a couple of days without food. You know, we don't get what it means to be in famine. Last year, we learned that if, you know, some decisions are made and this can happen and things can close down pretty fast, we could have a toilet paper famine. I mean, we learned that could happen. And we probably should remember if that can happen, it can happen with food too. But we don't really get it. But this is a reality that Naomi is facing. And so she takes action. And now this next section really is about her looking back at God's provision. Next verse, verse 6. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the land of Moab. For she had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them food. So she departed from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt kindly with the dead and with me. May the Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. Then she kissed, kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, but we will surely return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return, my daughters. Why should you go with me? 
Have I yet sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Return, my daughters, go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I, if I said I have hope, if I should even have a husband tonight and also bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it's harder for me than for you. For the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. And they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. You see what's happening? They start the journey back and Naomi realizes, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're heading into a life of poverty. There's nothing for us. And, it, and as bad as it will be for me facing starvation, for you two young ladies, it'll be worse. You're Moabites. So she says, you should go back. Go home. Go back to your parents' house. Get married again. Have a normal life. And they say, no, we want to come with you. Then she says, hey, I'm never going to have any more sons. You're ne- you know, I, I can't provide for you in any way. Go back. And Orpah says, okay. And Ruth says, I don't want to. So here we see Naomi kind of gave up on God's goodness, but she's not giving up on God. She keeps using the word Lord, capitalized Yahweh, God's personal name. She knows who God is. But what's amazing here is Ruth, Naomi, one of Naomi's daughters-in-law. Ruth displays amazing loyalty, not only to Naomi, but also to God. Next verse, 15. Then she said, this is Naomi, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord, Yahweh, yes, may the Lord do to me and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. And when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. Scholars look at these verses right here, And they identify this. This is the point of conversion for Ruth. Ruth's been living with Naomi in this foreign land, Ruth's land. And Naomi's saying, you know, stay. But here at this juncture, Ruth says, no, I'm going with you. I'm sticking with you. I'm going to help you. And where you go, I go. Your family is my family. You know, it's kind of what she does. But then significantly, she says, your God will be my God. And then even more significantly after that, she says, may Yahweh, she knows who God is, may Yahweh do to me, you know, judge me if I don't keep my word on this. Huge. She makes this super difficult decision. She says, I'm going to be with you till death do us part, right? We say that at weddings, right? But she actually says more than that. And then when they bury you, I'll still be there and then I'll be buried there too. 
because she doesn't see any other life for herself. Ruth gives up on her culture, her language, her family of origin, even prospects of any future family by sticking with Naomi and going to what is for her a foreign land, Israel. And then the last section of Ruth is basically about questioning God's goodness and missing God's plan, which we all can kind of do. It continues in verse 19. So they both went until they came to Bethlehem. And when they had come to Bethlehem, all the city was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has inflicted me. And, and something a little harder to see in English is the Hebrew name Naomi means pleasant. And she says, don't call me pleasant anymore. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Don't call me pleasant. Look what's happened to me. Don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter. And, and it's interesting because she, she's wrong in her perspective, but she's honest. She's just letting it out. And, and she kind of blames God. It sounds like she blames God. She's bitter. But the weird thing is, and this happens to a lot of we hit places we never thought we had hit, and we're just like, wow, you know, man, I, God's lowered the boom on me. But oddly, and, and she's got every right. I mean, it, it's, it's bad. She's been through some bad things. Although it's not quite as bad as she's saying because she's saying all this, hey, I went out of here full. I had a husband and two sons, and I've come back completely empty with nothing. And while she's saying that, who's standing right next to her? Ruth, who's probably thinking, what am I? You know, chop liver. I know I'm not a son, but hey. What's she thinking? It's just the discouragement that Naomi was feeling. Sometimes we can get that way too when things kind of pile up on us and we're suffering or we go through loss or hardship. You know, a lot of times it's bad. It's bad and it is bad. But sometimes we'll even make it a little more bad. And she's basically coming back. All these people knew her 10 years ago. This uh, Ephrathite, you know, term that was used earlier kind of means that this is probably old family Jerusalem, old money Jerusalem. She kind of had everything. Now she's back. She's got nothing. And this is sort of the reveal. I mean, she comes back. She's like, look at me. I've got zero. And some of you may kind of feel that you're going through some of that. And I'm telling you, trust God. He'll get you through. And I know I say that, and you, you're looking at me up here and going, easy to say. Yeah, I could say that. But you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what's happened. You don't know what's happened to my family. You don't know what's happened to me. You don't know what's going on. You don't know how I've suffered. You don't know my heartache. And you're right. I don't. But God does. And God cares. He knows your every hurt, your every feeling, your every heartache. And He cares. 
And he wants a relationship with you. And he's, he's, he's waiting for you to come back to him. He's waiting for you to do life with him. Trust him. Follow him. Live with him. That's what he wants. You see, no matter what's going on in our lives, no matter how we might be suffering, especially if you're a child of God, especially if you're a follower of God, just know God is doing 10,000 things that we cannot see through, in, and around our life. And even if He tried to tell we can't see it, but even if He tried to tell it, to us, we wouldn't understand. It would be too complex. There would be too many moving parts. We wouldn't be able to follow along. Why? Because God is infinite and we're finite. And so we can't understand the mind of God. But God's saying, trust me through this. Trust me through this. I got this. There's no accident. I know what's going on. I have not forgotten you. Even in terrible times, like Naomi's going through, God is still working. And then there's the last verse. We've come to the last verse of Ruth 1. It says this, So Naomi returned, and with her, Ruth the Moabitess. It keeps being emphasized. Ruth the Moabitess, remember? Her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab. And then we see just a spark, just a hint in this last sentence. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. And so we're left right here in this point in history, and we're wondering, well, how's this going to go for her? Will God provide? How are they going to eat? They don't have any relatives left. What's going to happen? Are they going to be accepted? What's this little village of Bethlehem? How are they going to react to a Moabitess living in and among them? What's going to happen? And we'll find out next week as the story continues. But for today, I want you to think about this. Ruth made a decision to leave her culture, her family, her God, what she was living for. And in a culture, in, in, in several cultures around, I mean, just ancient times, where family was everything, she gave up any prospects of a family by staying loyal to Naomi, just being nice to her, to try to help her, but mainly to turn to God. And she even uses God's personal name. She makes this decision. So things are bad, and she decides, and they're not as bad for her. She has a chance, but she says, no, I'm going with you. Your God will be my God. And so the question is, have you come to that point? No matter what's happened, no matter what's gone on in your life, no matter what suffering, hardship, heartache, have you come to that point where you're saying, no, I'm going to make God, the God of the Bible, the one true God, my God, and I'm going to follow him? And if you have done that and you're going through stuff, then the question is, are you doing that actively today? Okay, if you've made that decision, are you living like it? Are you living every day with God? That's what God wants from us. And God will use us in ways that we cannot see. 
to accomplish his, his purpose in history and his purpose in our life if we would just follow him. Let's stand together and we'll pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, that, uh, that we get to see people through history who have stood up, great men and women, who you've used as heroes of the faith to pass down truth to us. God, we thank you that, that we get to see that, read about that, know that, to know your story, your purposes, your working in history. But God, help us also to realize that you're inviting us to be part of your story, that you want to work through us, whether we're in good times or probably even more specifically when we're in hard times, that you want to use us to, to accomplish your purposes and even bring good into our lives. And God, we thank you for that. And especially your son, where all this is leading. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name, amen. Hey, thank